afternoon good evening uh, depending on where you are or what time of day you are listening welcome to unfiltered with Matthew Barnaby I'm your host Matthew Barnaby it's been a trying week to say the least um, I didn't know whether I should even talk about this whether I should tweet about it whether I should use Instagram to talk about maybe my beliefs and, and what I stand for. But in my opinion, every life matters. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're brown. I don't care if you're black. Every life matters. And I'm sad. I'm sad because we live in a world where this is very prevalent. And I feel bad for just so many people that are going through an injustice that we don't and shouldn't be dealing with because of the color of your skin. It's stupid. There's a lot of stupid people out there. There's a lot of stupid white people. There's a lot of stupid cops. There's a lot of stupid black people. There's a lot of great black people a lot of great white people and a lot of great cops. I feel bad because we have to talk about this. I, I feel it's part of our everyday lives and I especially am sad because I have kids that are going to deal with this as well. And I, I probably do feel that they are privileged. I probably do feel that way. I do feel that I've went through situations in my life that have been unjust. And if I would have been black, they probably would have been 10 times as bad as they were. And it's because at the time, we had people in power that abused their power. Now, I also have a brother-in-law that's a cop that takes his job very seriously and is a great cop. I have an ex-father-in-law that took pride every single day in treating everyone with the same respect that he would treat his own children. But you have a small minority of people out there that abuse their power, that are fucking racist and disgusting. Again, we have to talk about it. We, we need to make change. And I'm not going to say I've been the most completely 
innocent person throughout my whole life. Have I said things that I probably regret at times? Yes. Have I had things said to me that, I, that I've responded to or had things said to me in a way that, that caused rage? Yes. I know I'm going to be better in the future. I have a lot of black friends. I have a lot of white friends. I have a lot of great friends. I probably have some racist friends and I've probably heard jokes along the way that maybe I've even laughed at and that in the future, I won't accept. We cannot accept. That's for us to all be better. But I just want to really close this by saying every life matters because we all do. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. People shouldn't be treated differently or looked at differently because of the color of their skin. I don't understand the violence thereafter. I understand the anger and there deservedly should be anger towards the racists out there, especially the ones that took a life. I don't get the looters. I don't get ruining business of innocent people that had nothing to do with this. I don't get it. That part I'll, I'll never, ever, ever get. I love the protests. I, I love people unifying and coming together for an injustice that just did not have to happen. And we've seen it too many times and it needs to end. I'm sure there'll be more instances because there's some stupid people in this world that just don't get it. And you, you, you aren't born a racist. You aren't born with hatred. You learn hatred. Again, th there's no right thing to say. I guess I apologize for not always being the best I could be. I will be in the future. I can promise you that. I read a thing my daughter posted on Instagram today and it stuck with me and just reading it and what, what we should be and who we should be as, as human beings. Who are we as human beings if we ignore the sufferings of other humans. I've never had to suffer. I don't know what it is like to, to be judged for the color of my skin. I'll never know that. But reading that really stuck home to me. And we shouldn't be dealing with this. Not in 2020. We really shouldn't. I hope we can get through this. I hope we can all become better. And I hope we don't lose more lives in the short term with the rage that we have because of one police officer that was idiotic. He's going to get his due. I can promise you that. But I hope we can all come together, black, white, brown, green, 
it doesn't fucking matter. Love you guys all. And uh, just hope we'll all be better together. Tough intro. Um, but I also think it's important to carry on and 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 with her everyday life and 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 do our jobs and and be the people that that we are uh so i am doing my podcast today um welcome to unfiltered with matthew barnaby my guest today is an nhler who i've waited to have on because i met him never knew him really when i played the game a very tough guy a great guy uh, a generous guy and one that does such good in, in this world. So my guest today on Unfiltered with Matthew Barnaby is former NHLer, a uh, tough guy, uh, but all around great guy, Cam Jansen. Cam, how are you today? I'm good, man. Uh, ready to get out of this office of mine that's been like my sanctuary where you do the radio, the podcast, you know, just the dogs are running here and screw everything up kind of thing. Uh, I'm ready to kind of get out and about, man. I think things are kind of getting there, but it's been okay. I, I can't complain. Like I was able to do everything kind of probably like what you're going through, but it's just a different circumstances. You got your, your radio set here. Do you do your podcast here and there? We adjusted, but we were able to do our stuff, which is kind of cool. How, how has it been in St. Louis? There's so much going on in the world and we're not going to dive into the, political views and everything that's going on there's there's so much out there it's been a terrible few days around north america especially in canada i think it's a little less than the united states i have kids that um live in buffalo in the united states what you guys are dealing with there um is certainly different than us and and we're talking you know racially we're talking covid um, but how has it been in St. Louis uh, through all of this? Well, it's burning down right now. Other than that, it's been great. Uh, no, and look, it, it's been tough, man. It, it has been throughout the COVID thing. And then you got the Lake of the Ozarks, which is tied to St. Louis, by the way, because everybody goes from St. Louis down to Lake of the Ozarks. I'm sure you saw that. Yeah. The pool. Look, Barney, I used to party down there left and right. I yeah. would have been probably in the middle of that 10 years ago. Pre-COVID, I don't even want anything to do with that. I, w I wouldn't even worry about COVID swimming in that nasty-ass uh, uh, pool. I'm worried about 10 other things that you're probably going to get. Yeah, you're but getting so herpes, got, herpes, oh, syphilis, urine samples. I mean, you're getting it fucking all. You're getting you're, a rash eating, for sure. You're going to have to eat Z-packs like, like Skittles. So <laughs> the, the point is, you get a bad rep from that. Now, now this, what's going on with the protests and things like that, which is completely understandable, what happened in Minnesota and, and, and things like that, but it has not been good in the last five months, not only anywhere, but particularly in St. Louis, because there's still a divide. It's been, it's been that way for, for years and years and years, and, and we've been through so much in this town. So between COVID and the protests and the rioting and things like that, it's, it hasn't been easy, man. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, I, I'm sure. I mean, St. Louis, when you talk about, we can go back, and I don't know how far Henderson is from St. Louis, um, but I, and I don't know how many years ago that was now. I want to say four, five. I mean, I 
my concussions, I, I, I miss all the time. But in my open, I, I, I Ferguson, talk about Ferguson, 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 Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. Oh, say yeah, Ferguson. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's what it is. Like Ferguson. who the hell's Henderson? Well, Ferguson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we we've seen this, and and that was a different situation. We don't need to get into it, but that was completely different than what we saw live. That was just it was just god awful, and and it just it's just erupting right now. But I think people honestly, and we again we, I think people as a whole and players athletes everybody's coming together like okay enough's enough enough's enough let's all come together you can see it throughout facebook and social media and how people react to this whole thing so i do think throughout this whole thing things will get better it was amplified because everybody's stuck at home for the past four months and all of a sudden you have all this emotion because you're pissed off and you're like okay uh so it just was a i felt like it was like a perfect storm of negativity that hit all at once I just want to read something that my daughter posted online and I haven't posted anything on it um, today, but she, she had a great post that I just want to share with everyone out there. Who are we as human beings? If we ignore the sufferings of other humans. And, and I think, you know, you look around and to me, it comes back. There's, there's, there's great cops. There's asshole cops. There's great hockey players. There's asshole hockey players there's great black people, there's asshole black people, and there's great white people, and there's asshole white people out there. So, you know, in the end, treat people the way you want to be treated. And I just hope this didn't set us back another decade or two. But um, hopefully we are on the mend, we will be on the mend, and we will learn from this. I, I wanted to dive into your career. You as a tough guy, uh, did the same role that I did for years. I got to choose and and really, you know, pick guys that I wanted. And there's nights that I that I picked a heavyweight and it didn't end well for me. For you, you knew going into the game, you didn't get the chance to fight the middleweights because you might ask Matthew Barnaby, and you did, and Matthew, and you chased him around for some damn reason. And I smartly said, no, I do not want to fucking fight. But you didn't have that choice to sometimes fight guys in your weight cast class. Every night you had to fight a different heavyweight. How was that mentally? How did you prepare for that? Uh, um, well, I'll tell you how it started. I, you know, no one told me to do that. I mean, I was a big kid, not a tall kid, but I was, I was thick. I kind of matured early. So I had like my strength, like my, my mom and dad are strong, my grandparents. Are, so I, I, I was naturally given that. And, and I was crazy. And so I, I kind of liked that, you know, I didn't know the game. Okay. We didn't grow up with the game, Maddie. Like Barney, we grew up in Eureka, Missouri. We didn't know shit, but we watched the blues and I love watching the blues. So I got into hockey cause it was an aggressive sport. I played everything else, but hockey, I was just obsessed with. And so I kind of molded my game on how I wanted my personality was really. And I was able to express that through hockey so i'd like to go against the big boys i got to play juniors in my hometown at 15 16 years old and all my buddies from high school would come there i'm like i'm putting on a fucking show fuck this like who they got oh this 21 year old kid with a big beard and i'm like i'm gonna go him in front of all my buddies and i just got a i don't know i got like a euphoric high from that man and i and i it let my anger out i guess too and I got good at it. So I'm like, fuck this. I'm just going to do this and just mold my game around being tough and skating and hitting. 
and, and it worked out. So no one said, you need to play tough in order to know. I just, I just did it naturally, man. Were the Blues your favorite team growing up? If so, who was your favorite player? Or who did you emulate? Who did you, did you follow? And how did you get to Windsor? How did you end up going to Windsor? You played there for three years in the OHL. Um, how did that all transpire? And, um, but did, did you have a favorite Blue growing up, or was that your team? Oh, dude. Dude, of course it was my team. We didn't – there wasn't cable watching Edmonton. I'm not, I'm not, we're not watching Don Cherry. The only thing I was watching with Terry with Graves is the hockey fight tapes that would come out. I would get hockey fight tapes brought to me all the time, go to Blues games. My dad would take me to a Cardinals game, and I'm like, eh. As, as a young kid, Barney, I'd walk around like, do-do-do-do-do, what's going on? <laughs> but he took me to a hockey game, and we went in warm-ups. And all the boys are cruising around, no Bucky on, early 90s, Holly with the fucking flow. And then Twister would go out there and fucking piss pump somebody and skate to the penalty box like, Bruh. and this, you had that fucking Tony the Tiger tattoo. He'd take his tar, and I'm like, what? I'm like, dad, I, I'm obsessed with that. The, all the attention he got, and he was just a fucking man. I'm like, oh my God, that's what I want to be. Now, I wish I was Holly. Holly got everybody in St. Louis in the hockey traveling around McDonald's, just getting new toys from him. Like, he set the tone, and all of us at that age got into it, and then we all started making it and things like that. But in, or for, for me to go to Windsor, I remember a guy named Mike Murphy, who's a chiropractor here. It was an 80, 1983 AAA assistant coach, and they called me up to play a year older. I'm an 84, and I played in a tournament, and he called – he's from Windsor, and he called uh, Mike Kelly, who's a GM, and said, you got to take a look at this kid. He's wild. He's raw. He's from Eureka, Missouri. You know, they don't have a background. His mom and dad don't have money, but fuck, he's a good kid, and he's tougher than shit. Give him a try. So I went up there for the draft, got drafted third, third round, and I made that team, man. And they, the people in Windsor, oh, my God, they love that toughness, man. And I just took advantage of it and put on a show on I, I just want to make sure it's Eureka, not Urethra, right? Eureka. Eureka, Missouri. God's okay. country. It's God's country. <laughs> Love it. You, you, you go to win. For, first of all, Tony Twist, I, he's one of the three guys I said I just never fight. I, no he, way. He broke Razor's face one day, broke no his way. orbital bone. I had to apologize because it was meant for me. I was skating around in warm-ups, <laughs> and, and I crossed the line, and, and Twister looks at me like, you better fucking slow down. You're going to fucking eat one. I go, no, I don't think I will. Don't, don't think oh. I will. So then we get in line match. Their coach puts him out. We have me and Razor. I'm beside him. He goes, you want to go? I'm like, not really. Not really. All of a sudden, Ted Nolan goes, switch. Oh, really? Razor comes over and fights him, and he breaks his orbital oh. bone. And I'm like, uh, next period, no. Tony. Twister, Twister goes, Barney. You're going to slow down? I go, yep, yep. Fucking, we're in cruise control. <laughs> Do whatever you want. <laughs> Remember Razor in the penalty box? I know he's going to be listening. Remember he's like, he's like this, and I, he had his jersey off because maybe the fight, uh, Twister's like riding a bull, okay? You're on for six seconds. He's gonna, you're going you're gonna to take a beating. He's going to wrap you around. Hopefully you survive. I mean, that's basically the concept of fighting him. But Razor – if he would have got his jersey out, maybe at the beginning, and yeah. just cut it out, and then caught him with one, it would have been. But it's just, 
he Twister probably grabbed his neck so fucking tight and twisted it so tight to where his hands are so big, he, he just controls you. And you know, he was 270 at the time. Big George LaRock was two. There's only a couple guys that big at the time. And those two were the two guys. And it's it's absolutely horrifying. He's he's top Twister's gotta be top three, I would say, overall. I mean, in my opinion, for brute force, strength, killer instinct, craziness, he's top three, right? Yeah, he, he's crazy. And George LaRock, I know you had him on here your podcast yeah. the other yeah. day. Dave Brown, um, who I got oh. a chance to play against. Joey Kosher uh, just breaks, breaks faces. Just breaks your face. Yep. Yeah. There's difference between guys hurting you and guys maiming you, like, like putting you out for months on end and you waking up after surgery. Like, that's it, just a, a different level. You, you talked about being crazy. I was crazy in junior. You go to Windsor. Who, who are the tough guys? The antics when we played, the younger generation is totally different now for better people, oh, whatever people yeah. think. That's all good. How, yeah. how, how was it in Windsor when you were there, the tough guys that you had to fight there? Fucking Wild West, baby. The Wild West putting on a show, McGratton, God rest his soul, Jake Gilmore. I mean, just mo monsters. I remember it was so – I was so aloof to what was going on. Again, a kid that we don't know. My dad dropped me off there. I'm staying with 85-year-old couple, and I'm fucking starting to get real popular. And, you know, girls are – it just was so – it just was a dream world. You had no – no one controlled you. And I remember one time I was so dumb. I get booted out of a game, take the jersey off, Twister style, skate <laughs> off like a fuck. You know how it is. I get undressed. I put my gitch on that's soaking wet with like tight shorts and a cutoff with the socks rolled up with your sandals. You know, you just look like a. And I go into the beer lounge because that's the only place you could drink beer. And everybody congregated there between periods. And I went into the beer lounge at 17 and drank beer with all the, the fans, not knowing that you shouldn't do that. And poor Mike Kelly, our GM, had to call, call me in and go, what the, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, ah, I just wanted to mingle with the fans. He's like, you can't do that, Cam. You just can't. I'm like, okay, okay. And I never did it again. But that just shows, like, you just – I just was out of it. And it was – and but I still had to show up and fight some of these monsters every single night. And that took a toll on you, Barney. You know how it is. It took a toll I, on you. It, and I just it, did it. To me, the fighting was the – the least pressure of it, it was the anxiety some days. There it is, yeah. The afternoon. Like, once the fight yeah. happened, now you're in survival mode. You're, 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 you're trying to jostle for position, whatever it may yeah. be. Trying not to get knocked out. You're trying to hit him. You're trying to knock him out. But it was the anxiety. I, I still don't nap in the afternoons. I love watching games, though. I, I love the afternoons. So I'm like, fuck, this feels great, man. There's no sweat dripping down me. I'm not rolling around in a bed all afternoon. How were you days of games? Well, I would stay out till three in the morning the night before, so the nap was a lot easier. Um, but if I didn't do that, yeah, then I'm like counting sheep, counting sheep, counting sheep, watching the ceiling fan go by, counting that fucking thing. And like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, what's he going to do to me? My buddies are texting me all day playing St. Louis. You're going to fucking go him? You're gonna... I'm like, okay, I, I am, I am. Like, it just, you know, my mom and dad would call, like, uh, just be careful tonight. I'm like, don't tell me that. Don't tell me to be careful, because that's now I'm going to get fucking caught with one. <laughs> and so just like, God, nonstop. 
But once the game started, I'm like, fuck everything. Let's go. I got my fucking parents. I got my family. I got my girl. Whatever, whatever. Let's fucking do this shit. I don't give a fuck. So that's – but leading up to it, it's like, just stop calling me. Just don't don't get knocked out. Thanks, dick. That's yeah. the worst, eh, Barney, when they say don't get knocked out. Hey. Gee, thank you. Yeah. Fucking thank you. I, I've had 400 fights <laughs> in my career. I've been knocked out a couple times. But – Oh, I can't I imagine that. what they went through. Our parents. I, I have a 22-year-old oh, son. Yeah. He's fought twice. And I shit my pants. And he's not a fighter. He's a skilled guy. But anytime he drops the gloves, I'm like, fuck. Don't do I it. I know. Just, just don't I know. Do As a parent, right? <sighs> I know. I can only – I think at that point, my mom and dad – well, first, they couldn't go to games anymore. They, so, you know, we live 26 miles away from St. Louis. Nice, cute little area, you know, just kind of surrounded by forests, and then you're still able to get in the city. So it's a, it's a pain in the ass to get down there anyway. My parents used to go to the games and watch me live off the bat, and then the one motherfucker in front of them. Everybody else says, yay, Cam, good job, yay, go, go. And then the one motherfucker says, oh, you fucking suck. And my, my poor dad, he just he can't handle it. You know, we did this all through my, you know, all through AAA, he'd have to go hide over there. At least he could hide from all the parents. All through junior, he could watch and do whatever and just, you know. But that one guy in front of him that just keeps chirping because there's always <laughs> that guy. My dad's like, I can't, I can't deal with it. So I set him up with a big-ass TV. TiVo, they could rewind the fight. So they just chilled at home, safe and sound. They could drink, don't have to drive, don't do shit. And uh, they don't have to deal with the dipshit right in the third row right there, you know. <laughs> my, my my brother my brother was 14 years older and i i played in quebec so i was the only english speaking guy but my brother was a tough he was a boxer growing up so he, he was tough yeah. and younger and in shape at the time and i remember we we're in drummondville one night a guy the same thing is just chirping me chirping me all night long all of a sudden he dragged him down like seven rows right in front of our bench our whole bench turned around i was like that's that's my brother that's, there it is. like you too we're all good and i get it I get it. I get the chirping. It's fine. Oh, I would do the same thing. I would. Hey, I you go. You pay your money. It's okay as long as we you're not do it now. Shit out of them. We get paid to do it now, Barney. We get paid to do it now. <laughs> it's good. We get we get a mic. No we shit. get a mic. Exactly. We get to exactly. edit this shit too. I, exactly. When, when when did you realize? For me, junior, I thought was kind of my end game. I always had like, I love Matt's Naslin growing up. A, a small. Yeah. Swedish skilled guy. I was a skilled guy growing up and realized to play junior, I need to find another way of making it. I was willing to do anything, but I wanted to make the NHL. I love the NHL. I love the Montreal Canadiens, but junior was my end game. It wasn't until I was halfway through my 18 year old year when central scouting came out with a list. I was like, Oh, I got a chance. My name's on really? this list. I didn't even know what central scouting was. When, when did you realize, Hey, maybe I can get drafted or maybe I can play in the national hockey league or I have that opportunity if everything goes right, that I'm on the track. You want me to be honest with you? And uh, and you just brought that up, I, which is very bizarre to me that you didn't have confidence until you're 18 years old. I thought I was going to make the NHL when I was 13. Wow. And I swear to God, because I was playing against people in St. Louis that I was kind of ahead of the curve here. Like it just kind of, it wasn't just getting started, but it wasn't huge yet. And I'm dominating and I was big and I was strong and I was athletic. And so I'm like, not that I'm, 
you know, I, I, you know, I have the, I just broke a record for the Blues of having like the least amount of points for per hundred, whatever. If you're gonna bring that up, that's fine. I get that. But at the time, who my competition was as a kid to build confidence, like God, I just had all the confidence in the world, man. And then I'd go up and I'd get my my dad would get a lot of attention when we'd play in these tournaments because agents would come up to him. Not that they were watching AAA Blues at the time, but they were watching the Lampton Lightning or the Marlies and Ricky Nash. And then all of a sudden I'd go out there and just do my shit. And, and so I just, I always had, I never had a doubt. I swear to God. And that sounds yep. so clear. I fucking swear to you. I never had a doubt. I love it. Now I when I got it. there, now when I got there, I'm like, I got to fucking, that's when I'm like, Oh boy, I need to stay. But leading up to it, I never had a doubt. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. It, it, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I was five foot two at 15 years old. Uh, That's what it is then, dude. 104 pounds. I got cut at 15 and 16, so I, I didn't even make double A. I, I got cut. So for me, I was the last pick overall in junior. So for me, when I went there, I was like, fuck, these guys are bigger and stronger. And then yeah. I grew. I, I got to six feet. And then the next year, I went to 150 and then went to 175, then 180. So it, it came to me. I didn't really start hitting my peak till 19 and 20. When I was 19, I was like, okay, I'm going to play in the NHL. Then I went to my training camp, and I, I scored 111 points in junior my last year. <laughs> and and I, I, I pull up to training camp in Buffalo, and John Muckler looks down, and he's like, how many points did you have last year? Pretty proud of him. I'm like, 111. No big deal, fuck. <laughs> no big deal? Yeah. And he goes, oh, wow. He goes, uh Look at Pat LaFontaine, there's McGilney, there's Howard Chuck. And I was like, holy fuck, are these guys good? He goes, yeah, you're not, you're not getting 100 points in this league, kid. Learn to dump that puck in and go fucking smash someone's head, and we'll be all good. It was the best advice I ever got. But you had confidence putting those kind of points up. Yeah. So you already had your aggression. So you knew that's going to come naturally. But for you to put 100 fucking, I don't give a shit. You're fucking doing shit with the puck. You're on the ice all the time. You're in different situations. So you build that, build that. But you growing up being 5'2", no wonder. I was crushing guys. Now I'm like, fuck, I'm fucking invincible. It, it, that, that, that's the difference. You didn't hit puberty. You, well, you're probably still hitting puberty now, to be honest yeah, with you. But, well, you, but you, hey, you know what I mean, though. I shave it now. I didn't have hair then. Now, now I got to shave it. Because the biggest fear, I had this conversation on the golf course earlier. I shave it, not just because there's so many gray hairs. If I if I let it grow I, I out, it. it would look like it's Santa getting that point. down there. Fuck. <laughs> but you you didn't have how can you have confidence when you're five two hundred and twenty and you're and you have this aggression but you can't yeah completely different. There you go then. Yeah. Like I just I was playing against St. Louis kids. You're yeah. right in the heat of fucking hockeyville, dude. So I just it just I it, it probably worked out perfectly for me, man. Just the way everything laid out. Segways a lot of times just in your business, in our business, in the media, just make themselves up. We, we plan a show and we talk and we, we look, but you talk about St. Louis, you growing up there, playing there, it's become a hockey hotbed. And I coached against one of the best St. Louis teams. I don't care if we go 20 years down the road, the St. Louis team that I coached against, the 98s with the Logan Browns and the Clayton Tellers. Oh. I mean, they were fucking ridiculous. How, how has that, you know, evolved from your point of view and what you've seen? To me, the big reason is 
the alumni, and I see you guys as one of the best alumni in the whole NHL, the way you treat the guys coming in, the way you're treated by the organization, and what you guys give back to the youth. That's why. They're, they're getting, uh, again, players are better than they were 10 years ago. They're going to be better in, in 10 years. But the alumni in St. Louis, talk about them and the emergence of all the guys we're starting to hear, the Brady Kachucks, the Kellers, the, the Matthew Kachucks, all down the road. So here, here's how it goes down, dude. Again, the Blues came in 67. Hockey was established here. Not youth hockey, not local hockey, anything like that. Just hockey. We didn't know what the fuck hockey was. Kept going, kept going, went through some dry, almost got sold to Saskatoon in the 80s, and then Holly came. And then all of us in my generation that made it, Brandon Bolig, Patty Maroon, Chris White, all of us, we started getting into hockey because of that fucking mullet, blonde mullet, that Cruz scored 86, and he was like, fucking rebel, just the coolest, the biggest, coolest symbol, sex symbol, everything symbol in hockey and in sports in this town. And we're like, okay, we're getting into it. Then we start getting into it, and then we start making it. I make it. Uh, uh, Paulie Stasny, Jan Stasny, dude, and all these kids are like, what? That kid from St. Louis made it? Oh, okay. That brought a bunch of people on. Now all those kids and all the players that played here retire here because it's cheap. The fans love you. The organization takes care of you. All the guys around, we're just a big, we all skate together and chirp each other. You know, we all hang out. You know, you see it firsthand. And it's just a perfect scenario for kids that grow up here. You got the alumni. You got – and now look, of course the Kachucks are going to have the right way to do it. Logan Brown's going to do his thing. It's the kids that their mommy and daddy were fucking construction workers. Like, yeah. you know, they figured it out too because of everything that's put in place here and the coaching staff. And maybe that kid that's dad's a construction worker had Jeff Brown as a coach and he just fucking learned so much from that guy that he's like, I get it now. Shit, let's go. Like, it just was a perfect combination, man. And it's blowing up, blowing up here, dude. It's crazy. First of all, I'm trying to, keep, I'm trying to wrap my mind because every time you mention Holly, and I fucking love Holly. Holly, is, Holly, Holly and Chaser are two of my favorite guys I've met. <laughs> um, all the guys from St. Louis, you guys have such a good time with each other. But we Holly, party, all you dude. Think of is we fucking party. nipples. Every, every time I hear Holly's name, now – it used to be goal score. It used to be Easton center. It used to be his Easton 65 flex. Fucking one-timer. Now I think nipples. Nipples. Dude, That's what I think about that. Oh. He doesn't give a fuck. Why would he? Why would he? He lives in Nashville. He does his thing. He fucking did everything. He's helped this city so much. He just, I, he is who he is, and he doesn't give a fuck. And it works. And it works. Look what he did, dude. He was so funny throughout this whole thing. Like, he, again, doesn't care. I like how Andy Strickland's calling me right now. I told him I'm on a podcast with you, too. Um, Fuck. Come on, Strick. Donkey. Paulie doesn't care. He didn't have to – Blues don't have to hire him. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need this. He just wants to chill, drink his tequila, sell the Cotigo tequila, do his shit. And, you know, what? we're lucky, to be honest with you. The Blues are lucky that Holly was involved the way he was throughout that whole run. And he was from the get-go. Holly was from the get-go. He didn't know they were going to win a Stanley Cup. And he's like, yeah, I'll come up from Nashville, get hounded every fucking day, have to be a fucking robot, 
and do whatever. <laughs> and also he's like, fuck everything. If you want me here, I'm going to be myself. And it worked. That's Holly's Holy, man. It is what it is. Holly, one, one little humble brag here. I played in Wayne Gretzky's. He used to host a nationwide tournament, the, the mini tour. And Holly was there one night. So, so we're drinking four o'clock in the morning for like a bunch of fucking dummies. That's weird. Just pounding them back. And I got like a 1030 tee off time, whatever. Holly's teeing off at like 730, eight o'clock. And Holly's a great golfer. Right? Yes. Holly's a scratch golfer, bombs the ball. Charles Barkley's there as well. And we're, we're playing poker. We're playing different games, gambling all over the place. And Holly goes, fuck boys, four o'clock. I, I got to get up in two and a half hours, go tee it up. Because I got to get, get a couple hours sleep. We're like, hey, bye, Holly. Charles Barkley stands up and he's like, yeah, I got to go too, guys. Got to tee off at like eight. I, I better get some sleep. Holly looks at him and he's like, I've seen the swing. Stay up all night. <laughs> Not going to affect you one bit, kid. Charles Barkley could be one of my favorite athletes ever. And I'm not even a basketball fan. But the, the – and, and, and you, you can appreciate this. Like, I – being now – not part of the media, but in the, in the media, okay? I'm not a, me, I'm not a media guy. I'm just in it. Yeah. Now, okay, we're doing shit, whatever. And I, and I listen to everything. I listen to all the radio shows in St. Louis. I listen to this. I, just, I have a, 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 a grasp on what's, what's working, what doesn't. Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal and Ernie and Kenny on M, 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 NBA Tonight, even if you don't even watch the game, I tune in and listen to their banter back and forth. And it is so witty and funny and real and honest. I just, you just have to appreciate how cool those guys are at, as athletes and how they get pissed at each other. And, and they really are. And it just works so much. They got the best show in sports going on right now is Charles Barkley and Shaq and those guys, man. And I don't even watch basketball. Yeah, I, it's incredible. You I gotta like get basketball the playoffs because I'm I'm a coolbet.com yeah. better. I love betting. I'll, I'll bet go. on fucking anything. I mean, I'm fucking absolutely a moron when it comes to that. I just love <laughs> love to bet. So you give me basketball. I don't even need to know. I'll flip a coin. I'll bet. But I love Charles. Um, great dude. Just a great great dude. And they Hockey are fan. and everything that went through that Kobe. Uh, tragedy oh, yeah. that happened listening to these guys like raw raw on the air um they were incredible T talk about that run uh that that st louis had last year i mean from 31st place in january left for dead on the side of the road they were a hitchhiker you would have kept on going because you would have been afraid you would have got stabbed to death but uh yeah. this team came from from the depths uh to win it all yeah, if it was a hitchhiker at that point, at the lowest point, it would look like, you know, Jason walking down with a knife, like, oh, pick him up. No, 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 no. But the, the, there's just so many storylines. I can't even I, – I wouldn't even be able to begin because, you know, I'm reporting these guys every single day. You're talking to guys. You're in the locker room. You're doing this. And you're like, oh, what is going on here? The city was all over them. Army was about to make big-time decisions. The leaders weren't leading. The grinders weren't grinding. Nothing was going down. You know, the goals against, oh, God, Jake, whatever, whatever. And then, you know, Jordan comes, and it just started coming together. And just the way – like, you came in right out – again, there's so many things. Like, you came in – like, from Chaser coming on at the Jumbotron right when playoffs started and had this awesome speech with Bobby Plager and all the guys. And it just, like – if they wouldn't have won, it would have been brushed off. But it just fits so perfectly into everything – and the guys going on that run, man, they just went through ups and downs. 
But they, the, the cool thing about that whole thing was, God, the Blues are just in your fucking face. They don't have a monster guy. They just fucking hit you. And Sunquist and Sammy Blay. What the fuck, Sammy Blay? Fuck was he where, good? Where the fuck? He's murdering guys. Eric Carlson's like, I'm going to get the puck out of the zone. No, you're fucking not. You're, you smashed this, hurting guys. I remember doing, I was doing all the pre and post stuff on, on local TV, which would go right. And I was with Bobby Plager. And I remember one of the, the San Jose round conference finals. Uh, four guys, four of their best players weren't coming back for the third period. And Bobby and I were just about to go on. We're like, what's up? And they're like, oh, uh, don't, boom, 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 aren't coming out for the third. We're like, did they? Because we're winning like by four at that point. The Blues were. And they're like, are we like, damn, they sitting those guys out? Oh, no, they weren't. They weren't sitting them out. No, they're all hurt. They're all hurt from getting hit consistently, consistently, consistently. And just to have a team that's just in your fucking face mean, and they just work succinctly together, just is so cool, man. And I don't know. It's, I think that's good for hockey. I think it's good for hockey, dude. I'm not going to lie. The is hitting. You're the toughest guy with the best vocabulary, by the way. I think so. Yeah, I got a ninth grade education. Rob, ninth grade Rob, education. Yeah, Rob, Rob Ray couldn't spell half the words you use. Not, well, not I can't spell them. No, that's true. That's okay. <laughs> we, we, that's why we have spell check. I'm, I'm going exactly. to run through a couple here. Um, shorter answers, but define them. Toughest guy you ever fought in the National Hockey League? Um, um, Trevor Gillies. Wow. Tough. There you go. Oh God, killer, killer. Not just like, oh, I'm gonna go you. No, I'm gonna hurt you. And I'm a lefty, and I'm big, and I'm strong, and I got that. If if we're back 500 years ago, 600 years, he's a Viking coming around pillaging. You, like, I don't want to put him in that category, but you get my point. Yeah. Like he's old school, hardcore, badass, respect, bad boy. Tougher to fight in the NHL or AHL? Oh, AHL. God, the tougher. What? Not even you're close. You're fighting in front of 400 fucking people. Well, no I don't TVs. even know who that guy is. No TVs. No, no TVs. Nothing. You're fighting a guy. I don't know who he is. He's six foot six and he looks fucking scary. Let me look him up real quick. Fucking AHL. Most bench press you ever did with those fucking pipes? Oh, 350-ish. I don't know. Yeah. So my, my shoulders always kind of beat up a little bit. So I can get too big, man. You know, I got to be able to toe drag a little bit. <laughs> hey, that, Hey, we're, we're all toe draggers now. I every am time a toe I get, dragon, so you've seen it firsthand. <laughs> hey, every time I get caught toe dragging now, I'm like, fuck John Muckler. I'm fuck fucking everything. I can do I'm anything. I can, I can turn it over as much as I want before I could it. Now it doesn't fucking matter. I'm fucking Gretzky now. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. I love it, man. Um, funniest teammate, uh, Mark Bergman, by, for, for me, uh, was the funniest teammate I, I ever had. Was there a guy that was always pulling pranks? Were you the guy? I know you're a great locker room guy. That's why they kept us sometimes on the bench and in the locker room. To, you know, they wanted to get us out there. But is, is there a guy that you had more fun with or that fucking was always pulling pranks? Well, I had to be – I didn't do the prank stuff much, but I always had to be funny, happy cam every time. I remember doing like a 
I had to go in be, before the guys went on a Stanley Cup run in 2012 with the Devils. Lou and Pete DeBoer made me go into the locker room and give a little pump-up speech, funny slash motivating speech right before the guys went on, not for warm-ups, but for the game. And I had to do it for every single game in the playoffs. So that was fucking the most stressful thing ever. But the funniest guys, Keith Kachuk, Dan Hynote, Eric Bolton, Ilya Kovalchuk, fucking hilarious. Kobe's hilarious. He laughs at everything. He's just like, he'll walk in the room, you know, makes, he walks in and starts doing a little dance. Like, he just was fucking real, man. Like, it's just funny. Eric Bolton, though. Oh, God. You need to get him on. Get his ass on. I, I'm writing it down. I love Get Bolt. his fucking ass. Oh, I love Bolts. I Underrated played with Danny Hynote in Colorado. Oh, yeah. That's a funny motherfucker. Yeah. And I know Keith very well, and, and on his scouting trail, he's, he's done over the years. I hadn't seen him in about five years, and I walk into a bar. He's having a beer, and he just looks me straight in the eyes. He goes, don't even mention my fucking weight. <laughs> I, I go, Big Walt has never, has never been more active than, than right now. He's, he's the best. fucking best. Oh, man, that motherfucker. I, we had – he controlled the locker room. He controlled everything. If we didn't want to fucking skate the next day, he's grabbing Paul Korea. He's like, fuck this. I'm going into Andy Murray's office, banging the door. No, no, no. We're not skating tomorrow. He was the funniest guy on the bus, in the locker room, on the plane, at events, everything. He's 38 years old, and he's fucking taking pucks to the mouth, and he's entertaining us every single day. I love that man. How, love him. How awesome when you get, like, a $50,000 signing bonus – for coming in at the right weight oh. and coming and coming out of the lockout, you don't make it. He was, I wish I was there for that whole thing to be a fly on the wall, to watch him walk in and actually get on that. Just When he walked, can you imagine him walking in the locker room? All the boys, I think Billy Garen, Dougie Waite was on a team. They're probably like, Oh my God, the blimp. And, and we're cheerful now, but who cares? Walt, you had a hell of a career. We love you to death. That was funny. We have to chirp you for that. God knows you chirped me for all my fucking shit. That must have been funny. I wish I was a fly on the wall, man. Keith Kachuk, like you said, just a fucking beauty. The one <laughs> thing I wanted to ask you, because I, I played, we played against guys like Craig Berube. Um, oh. I, I think a lot of times tough guys, when they get, on the other side, they become coaches. They really pay attention to the game, and then they study the game, and they work harder than, than others because, first of all, they might not have a life after hockey, and we got into media, and we, we love it. What we call media, we're, we, we get to talk. We get to have fun. We get to laugh and tell jokes and tell stories, analyze, whatever it may be. But also as coaches, I looked at Craig and – Great guy, one of the toughest fuckers I ever fought in my life. Honest, and I really liken the analogy to him as he coaches the exact same way that he played, like no nonsense. Well, I think that a guy like that who played a thousand games in that role is just God. I I don't know how you did it. I felt like I played ten thousand games, and I only played like three thirty, whatever the hell. Like it just Everything's amplified when you're on it every single night when you know you got to go three guys on that team, potentially three guys on each team. So I think everything came very difficult for him. 
He was a leader on every single team he played for. He had to grind everything out. Work ethic was number one, or you're not staying in the league that long. Stick out for your teammates and being a good teammate was a huge priority and being filling that role, playing a thousand games. So then you, then you learn, you're sitting there, like you're, every, you're learning everything. You're in meetings, you're part of the leadership group, you're in all the internal meetings. You, do this, you just absorb so much fucking hockey knowledge and nothing came easy for you. Unlike maybe like May say Wayne Gretzky, where how can you not pass behind the back to you and have the eyes in the back of your head over there? How can you, I did it. Where Barubi's like, I know I can't fucking do that. So this is how I did it. It's just maybe the, the conversation to the guys and maybe how he relays his points to everybody and how he had to fucking grow up and do all this shit. It just worked perfectly. And he's able to express it. And, and again, man, like, Nothing came easy for him. So he could explain detail to every single kind of player on the team, whether it's fucking Petro, whether that's Jordan Bennington, whether that's a fourth-line guy or a third-line guy like Oscar Sundquist. He could relate to everybody. How, how, how do you compare this year's teams? Because it's very similar. There wasn't much changeover to last year's team. And now that we're going to be going back, we know that in the near future we're going to have games again. Does does everyone's on the same playing field. There's no home ice advantage anymore with no fans being in the stands. Does that affect a St. Louis blues team? That's very physical or everyone's on the same playing field, man. Everybody, dude, everybody's on the same plane playing field, hundred percent. And for the blues they are just, they're a disciplined team, man. Like they are. So like, what's going to, what's, what's going to be the most difficult part of this whole process? Probably being on the same page and being disciplined throughout these weird environments. So like, a team like St. Louis where they're not just relying on a couple guys to do, do, do their thing, take the game over, or a goalie to get hot. It's like everybody, it needs to be on the same page for this thing to work. And they realized that last year, and it did work. So they're, I think they're ahead of the curve on this, in my opinion. Now, the fucking Blackhawks or the Montreal Canadiens who lost to the Detroit Red Wings three times this year could go out there and Carey Price can get hot and the boys could do their shit, and they could collectively as a group go out and win yeah. and win the whole Stanley Cup. And if they do, Matthew Barnaby, we're both going to be like, tip of the cap, sir. You figured it out throughout these bizarre-ass circumstances. You find a way, top to bottom, goalie, forward, organization, whatever the case is, you guys win, and deservingly so. But in, in the, the blue sense, I think discipline is going to be a huge factor in this whole thing, in my opinion. Uh, with Cam Jansen, very great and gracious, gracious with his time. The Cam Jansen Show, 590 Fan in St. Louis. Uh, the Cam and Strick Podcast. Thank you, Andy, for not calling us a fourth time while you're on. Uh, oh, shit. Every team's going to be healthy. We know that you talked about Montreal, Kerry getting the rest. Columbus gets a plethora of guys back into that lineup. St. Louis, they get 91 back. He's going to be healthy. He's going to be rested. How big is that for that team who, I don't want to say didn't miss a beat, but they did pretty fucking well without 91. Now you get your star, your, your difference maker when you really need it. Dude, you know. You might have been playing well without 91 in the lineup, but you fucking missed them. You missed them on a power play, on everything. As a defenseman, you're like, where the fuck is Laddie? Like that, like no matter what, is you're a defenseman and 91's on the ice, like where's he at? Like where's he at? That's that that distracts you. So I don't give a shit if they're winning or not. You missed 91. Now, 
91 hasn't skated much. Maybe he is now. He hasn't played in a long time. And then you go through this shit, and now he's going to try to be on point. If anybody could do it, it's a guy like that with that elite talent. Like, you and I, no offense, you more than me because you scored 111 goals in juniors. I ain't <laughs> going out and making nice breakout passes. You're fucking crazy. I'm fucking suicide passing everybody, <laughs> and they're going to get fucking bench. Like, I'm just not on it. But Vladdy, maybe a couple games where he takes a couple hits here and there, he can get into it. But, again, I like how people are like, oh, they played great without million. You missed your big boy. You always miss your big boy. You just figured out how to play without him, but you need him. And he's going to come back. Hopefully he's uh, ready to go. We'll see what happens with that. We don't know, Barney. No one knows. Everybody's the same. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a different dynamic. Is DP57, David Perron, is he – I think he's the most underrated player in the National Hockey League. I I truly believe – Really? Yeah. I I, I didn't know when he went back to St. Louis how it was going to work out. He's been that good. He was that good during the run. He was great in Vegas when he was there. Uh, But I think he's the most underrated for not us that watch the game every single day. Not he's he's I don't want to say a star in the league, but he's he's damn close to a star. He's there. The stars very very high up. But for the casual fan from Montreal to Toronto to Buffalo that doesn't watch St. Louis. A lot of people are like, David Perano? Okay. Maybe, maybe he's a third liner. To me, he's an underrated player. When you watch David Perron play, what do you see? Well, I, first off, I saw him when he was 19 years old. And um, I'll give you a quick little story. I can't got traded to the Blues. Perry was up um, 19, young, cocky. Arnie, he was cocky as shit. Oh, yeah. He oh, pissed yeah. off Walt. He pissed off Walt in practice one time. And I remember I first get there. And Rick Wamsley was our was our one of our assistant coaches. <laughs> and we did a drill where, you know, we're in front of the net and we're just a skill drill where I got to defend the front of the net with a goalie. And Perry's just fucking toe-dragging me. I'm, my ankles are breaking. I'm doing this. And Rick Wamsley looks at me and goes, no wonder, Cam, because I sat out two games in a row. I wanted a fucking – punch Wammer in the face then I wanted to chase fucking Perry around and strangle him in front of everybody but I didn't do it because I'm disciplined he embarrassed me so bad he embarrassed Keith the Chuck guy he he kind of rubbed guys the wrong way a little bit then he gets a little older we actually roomed together for a little bit which I set him back probably years on that sorry David Perron <laughs> that's the blues decision why the fuck they put you with me I don't know that's on them but to see him develop and mature and play, and then get traded, and do this, and then come back, and then go through the fucking the the expansion draft, and then leave there, where it's kind of like oh, unsettling a little bit, and then go have fifty points that fifty assists that year, go to the Stanley Cup Finals, become a fucking man, and then Army signs him back. He was the first guy Army signed back, where the Blues didn't make the playoffs for the first time in a long time. This city was losing in their mind. Losing. Remember the last game of the year? They tried to play uh, yeah. Colorado Amway. They fucking went, Vladdy gets hurt, blah, 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 blah. They missed the fucking playoffs. That's money down the drain. That's businesses' money down the – it's not just like, oh, the Blues. No, it's a fucking trickle effect in this town. Money's lo- – lo- people are losing money. So, finally, they sign him back. And everybody kind of forgot about him. And everybody's like, yeah, that's the first signing you made. Blah. And then they sign Tyler Bozak. And then they sign Ryan O'Reilly. Then they sign – but the point is, 
the emotional roller coaster you had with this kid, and he comes back and he's a leader on this team, and he goes out there and he was so important, not just on the ice with those toe drags and overtime, but on in the locker room and fucking. I watch him when they have to go down, and you're watching practice, and Perry's just talking to guys and just fucking being the man, and it worked. And now he can't walk down the street. Everybody fucking will carry him anywhere he wants to go, and deservingly so, man. Funny how shit changes like that, dude. It's so weird. That's hockey for you. That's sports you, for you. You you talk about trickle down effect. You're having a nice little cold cold cocktail. Oh yeah. oh yeah. I had about thirty here during the All Star. <laughs> Ob's baby. I, we we had our show on Sirius XM, and I remember I remember texting Kelly Chase and going, "Chaser, I need a bar." <laughs> And I didn't even get, like, what it was for or whatever. He's like, uh, Obi Clark's. Obi Clark's. You're, you're going to Obi's. Is it Jim and? Jimmy O'Brien, baby. Jimmy O'Brien. Yeah. What's his brother's yeah. name? Uh, I believe Mark. I could Mark? be wrong on that. You might have to edit that out. All right. So, might, so Jimmy's, the one, Jimmy's the main the owner of that. But it's a safe zone there, Barney. Of all those old school cats and Dougie Wade and all the boys, they fucking went there. They knew they're taken care of. They're right in the mix of where they lived. It just is a perfect setup. And that's where all the guys partied. I was stuck in a fucking airport in Chicago, and all the guys are at OB Clark's right when they won. And they're fucking, and my buddies are there hanging. And I'm like, the fucking plane's still, I'm oh, losing my, not that I deserve anything, but I'm watching my buddies who didn't do shit. And they're hanging out with them. Oh, fuck. But that's where, you know, the safe zones, Barney. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. That's a safe how, zone, dude. How, how crazy. I, I have a few safe zones. Right now, my only safe zone is, is my basement and my bar right over there where I, I know right, right after this. I know. Um, nothing bad's going to happen here. And nothing after four is even bad at all. <laughs> we don't. My girl is always with me. And uh, she's right here right now. I love you, babe. Um, Hi. how, how crazy was that run? Uh, just for the fans point of view, because we watched it from, you know, the song to sweet little girls and oh God, and like it, it was, it was like a magical fairy tale with the culmination of the biggest party you've ever seen in your life. Baddest sons of bitches I know in this town. Hardcore construction workers, hardcore fucking military guys, diehard, diehard blues fans forever. Take their kids to blues games and like bond with their children kind of guys. Not just like, oh, we're fa No, we bond as a family because of this team and this organization. Our best memories going to games as kids. These guys, hardcore crying crying for days sending me pictures to a point where i'm like stop it like unbelievable just satisfaction and it, and i don't think you realize how much of a fan you are throughout these 50 years and the, just a heartache that this organization has gone through with losing the detroit president's cup champions i remember 99 or 2000 they won the president's cup with prongs and and and, and mckinnis logging 35 a night together yeah and there was a thing in the post-dispatch that said, it had a picture of them celebrating the president, and it said, place cup here. And they get fucking knocked out by San Jose that next round. See ya, you jinx your, like shit like that. 
and all of a sudden they go up there thinking everybody thought that they were going to go to Dallas or at Boston that game seven and lose, and they could have easily, and they didn't, man. And everybody was so excited from game six to win it at home, and it just didn't work. It never works the way you want it to. Then you have to go up there and suck it up and fucking win in that hardcore barn, and you did. It, 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 it propelled our city so much in the hockey world and in sports in this city so much multi-million dollar arenas are being built right now barney you should see our fucking setup for the alumni million dollar fucking locker like multi-million dollar facilities kids walk in there all of our murals are on the the wall like i walk in like there i am like fuck yeah i go in there i get a fucking boner i love it it's awesome you're like fucking a like this is a shrine to all of us and the blues winning and it all came together it's just a cool feeling, man. And businesses are making money, and it's good for the city. How, how big is Chaser's head on his mural? Oh, fuck. It's just a Looks like a fucking buffalo. Oh, he doesn't have one. Oh, he didn't come up through. No, 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 no. Chaser didn't have a mural there. No. Not only in the locker. We all, all the kids that made it from Ben Bishop to stop. Oh, yeah. No, Chaser's not part of that group. <laughs> now, uh, he might tell everybody. You know, he fucking brags about being from Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan, or Porcupine Plains, wherever he's Porcupine Plains. Porcupine Plains. That's what it is. <laughs> we have to remind you reminds me every fucking day. No, this is the St. Louis boys that made it. The St. Louis boys. That we're all fucking everywhere. It's just a really cool thing, man. And honestly, it's awesome. How I mean, I I watched Chaser with the pride that he has of winning the Stanley Cup. I have the same feeling now that I know you and, and talking to you over the years and now having you on the pride you have being from St. Louis, but them winning and you having a chance to have played in your hometown, like to play for the St. Louis fucking blues. It would have been like me playing for the Ottawa senators as, as yep. an Ottawa boy. I never had that opportunity, but you did just speak of being, being from there and playing there. How, how much pride do you have? It was a fantasy. I lived in a fantasy world. And it's it was it was a fantasy world i had a different life away from the rink dude like i had my hockey buddies with you know all the boys but i had my whole life here all my friends growing up and everybody in the hockey world my even i my hockey buddies growing up because i didn't have just hockey buddies around me because it wasn't a hockey all my buddies were you know football guys and this and that and then i had my other it's just seeing everybody in warm-ups with no bucket on you know, cruising around, like, what's that? Blowing bubbles, looking <laughs> at the girls I brought, or looking at my buddies taking care of the girls you bring, or looking at your family. My Hopefully my dad's not getting into an argument with some dipshit fan fucking chirping me in warm-ups. It just, it became too much, to be honest with you, at the end. I was burning both ends, Barney. Fucking every night, like, where are we going? I put a yep. show on, like, let's go. Let's go walk in, say, be nice. Social butterfly to everybody, just anything. It was so fun. It it felt like a dream world. I still had to take care of business. How I got through it, I don't know. I was partying hard. I was spending money. I was burning both ends, but I fucking got it done. And I, four years was enough. And at that point, I'm like, give me out of this bubble. And it worked out when, you know, way back with Lou Lamro and the Devils. But it, and then coming back here now, Barney, God damn it, dude. All the little shit I did when the Blues asked me to do a million – it was a regroup stage when I got traded there. They were trying to build it back up. They had fucking 7,000 people a year before that. Then Ocean, all of us came. 
We did so much shit throughout the town. I never said a fucking word. I never asked for any money. I just did it. And now I have my own radio show. I got a podcast that's blowing up. I could do anything I want in this town. And at the time, I wasn't planning on that. I just fucking did it just to be a good dude. And now it all works out, man. Jance, I, I, I want to I wanna thank you. Again, I, I didn't know you when I played. I was scared the fuck out of you. <laughs> uh, that, that we were going to have to drop at some point. So, again, it would have been the race to get Chase if he was even anywhere near. <laughs> Just grab yeah. Kelly Chase. You talk about your show. You do an unbelievable job on that. Uh, your podcast, anyone that's listening to mine loves hockey. The Cam and Strick podcast, you got to listen. This guy's the best. A tough motherfucker. Uh, but one of the best guys you could ever meet. And I love what you do with the alumni. I love what you do for charity. I love the way you interact um, with fans in general. And I got to see that front, uh, up front and close uh, in Nashville, just with all your boys up there. So thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Continued success. I'm cheering for you every day and love listening to you. Keep up the good work, my man. Man, you too, man. Everything right back at you, dude. You're a fuck. I love watching you play growing up and all that stuff. And I did ask you, and you did say, I got a bad wing, and I respected you for that. You're a wily fucking veteran to play a lot of games. I'm giving you that fucking respect, baby. Thank you. Whether, 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 whether it was a broken wing or a wild wing or whatever it was, it would have been a chicken wing if I, if I tangled with you. So uh, oh, I'm going to go with I had a bad, bad shoulder and not that I was scared shitless. Yeah, Thanks, buddy. I hear you, Love buddy. You. I'll talk to you soon. Love you, buddy. We'll talk soon, buddy. Right on. All right. Thanks, Cam. Uh, an unbelievable guy that uh, has so many funny stories. I'm going to have him on again because he has so many stories to tell. And uh, in a trying time that we're all in, um, he's just such a good guy to be able to talk to, just to, to, to make smile. Um, it's been a tough week. It's been a really, really tough week. And I, like I said, in, in the opening, I guess, Johnny Carson monologue, uh, we can all be better. I can be better. I think you can be better. I think we all can be better. And let's just remember one thing. Every life matters. Okay? Every life matters. I saw one last thing in closing. Um, not all blacks are criminals. Not all whites are racist. Not all cops are bad. Ignorance comes in all colors. I couldn't have said it any better. There's some great people. There's some bad people. But let's not let the minority take over for the majority. I hope you all have an unbelievable week. I love you all. Cherish you all. Goodbye from Unfiltered with Matthew Barnaby. Whatever you know, whatever you know